Yeah. You know, it's funny. Is 15, 16, I don't know what it was, 16, 17 years ago. I don't feel 17 years older than I was back then. I, I thank you. I appreciate that, Gary. Thank you very much. I have, still have some recall. Um, I, uh, I just turned 50. I turned 50 five, six months ago. See, again, I'm not exactly sure great dates, but just turned 50. So I've become a little more introspective uh, and reflective, turning 50, looking back on the past 50 years. And as I've been thinking about that and thinking about kind of my story and where I've been in my faith, um, I kind of put all this together and we're going to look at some different scriptures today. We're going to jump around a little bit this morning, if that's okay with you. And um, the title of my message is, is simply Stick With Your Church. That's the title of the message. Stick With Your Church. On uh, June 3rd, 2017, uh, Alex Honnold attempted the first free solo climb of El Capitan in Yosemite. Anybody been Yosemite and seen El Capitan? Uh, it's, it's, it's impressive. Uh, it's 3,000 vertical feet from the valley floor to the top, and it is a sheer face pretty much all the way up. 3,000 feet. Uh, in case you don't know what 3,000 feet looks like, it's two and a half times the Empire State Building. So imagine climbing two and a half times the uh, Empire State Building, or three times uh, the Eiffel Tower. Free solo, what does that mean? It means no ropes, no other people, no nets. That's what a free solo climb is, just Alex and the mountain. And during this, it's a documentary. You can go watch it. It's done by National Geographic. I highly recommend you watch it. Uh, It's called Free Solo. And so there's a camera crew around him filming him, his preparation and what he's going to do, and they're going to be on this climb. And so they film him practicing, but they also, they're going to be there the day he tried it with no ropes, no nets. And they're going to try to be as inconspicuous as possible as not to distract him at all. But that wasn't enough uh, for Alex. What he decided to do, because it was, he wanted to focus, unannounced, like I think at three in the morning, got up and just started climbing. And so when the sun rose, the camera crew realized that he was not there. They scurried up quickly and could see him, spotted him through their, through their scope, seeing him. So they got up there and caught up with him to, to watch him do this. The most challenging part of this climb was what was called the boulder problem, where Alex was, you know, hands and feet on one sheer face. I don't know where it was, like 2,000 feet up in the air. And the only way up is to basically push off and jump in like Spider-Man to the other sheer face. And what gives your heart pause is that when he practiced this before with some ropes, it was like 50% chance of success. He would always slip or stumble. But this time, there's no ropes. There's nothing. It's just him on one side of the mountain pushing off and trying to grab onto the sheer face with his feet and hands on the other side. And it's a documentary, so I'm watching this. I know what's going to happen. I know he's going to live. They're not going to film this if he didn't make it, right? But I'm thinking, like, there's no way this guy's going to do it this time. But sure enough, this boulder problem comes, and he's able to push and latch on the other side. He scurries up the rest of the mountain. He gets to the top, calls his girlfriend. There's a a celebration. But it's just astounding. It's just astounding me. And I look at that, and I said, man, that's just turned 50. That's what I want. That's what I want to do, right? This rugged individualism, I can do it. God bless the United States, like bunch of, like, <laughs> r- let's go, right? 
And I think about that, and it's, it's inspiring. It really is. After that documentary was over, I, sure enough, went on the internet and started looking up free solo climbs, right? Like, what gear do I need to do this, right? And so, as I searched up free solo climbs, what comes up is all the people who died <laughs> trying to do this very same thing. See, Alex Honnold was the exception, not the rule. What comes up as you do some research on climbing, the much better way to climb is, is with a rope team. And rope team, you, are, you climb up as a team, you have a lead, you have followers, you're, you're linked together, there's hooks, uh, there's instructions given, there's encouragement, there's support, and you work together as a team safely to navigate things like Al Capitan and other mountains, and you get to the top and you do it together. That's a much better way to climb. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you are climbing. And the climb that we're making is the climb of maturity, the climb of, of, of Christ-likeness, the, the climb of what Paul calls sanctification. And it is a climb. It's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. That's the climb. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, the Apostle Paul says, we proclaim him, speaking of Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? So that we might present every man, every woman, every child, complete or mature in Christ. Paul's ministry was to teach, admonish, proclaim Christ to bring about maturity, Christ-likeness. That's the climb. So, how do you avoid the loose gravel? How do you avoid the slips? How do you avoid the stumbles? How do you avoid the fall in maturity? How do you avoid the fall? My answer this morning is by sticking with your church. Now, I could talk about how prayer impacts sanctification or maturity, and it does. I could talk about how the word impacts maturity and sanctification, and it does. I could talk about how trials, James 1, impacts maturity and sanctification, and it does. But my point is, all these things, prayer and the word and trial, happen in the context of a local church, of a local church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, Paul says that God has given prophets and apostles and pastors and teachers to the church to equip the saints for the works of service to the building up until we all obtain maturity. That all these things happen with the context of a local church. And I'm going to be even more specific than that, not just being at a local church, but staying with a local church for the long haul. So, disclaimer, uh, I have no agenda at all. I, I don't have any kind of like, I know we're in a pastoral search here right now. I, I have none of that on my mind. This is just me being retrospective of my life for the past 50 years and looking at the scriptures and seeing the benefit and the blessing of staying with the church over the long haul for the majority of your Christian life. That's what I'm looking at. Uh, I'm not a full-time pastor. I I work in construction, so it's great. I can just say whatever I want to say without any repercussion at all, and no one can fire me or get upset with me, so you can get upset with me. That's fine, but... I'm still going to have my job when I go back to work on Monday, so it's great. All right, so here's the three things I want to hit this morning with you. Uh, Number one is this. 
is stay with your church so that you see Christ in the scriptures, okay? Stay with your church so you see, over the long haul, Christ in the scriptures. And we're gonna be, the majority of time, in Acts chapter two. So if you have your Bibles and wanna turn to Acts chapter two, do that. Uh, And you kinda know where I'm going if you've been around for a while. Acts chapter two is the birth of the church. And I'm gonna summarize Acts chapter two and then I'm gonna read, kinda dig down to where we're gonna be. So in Acts chapter two, what you find is that Uh, There's the Feast of Pentecost, the Jewish Feast of Pentecost. What does that mean? It means that if you're a Jew, you're gathering, wherever you live, doesn't matter, you're going to Jerusalem for this feast, okay? You're going, you're in. So you got a lot of people from different places of the world coming, different languages, different cultures, all coming in to Jerusalem. And that's what happens. And in Acts chapter, five, Acts chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, you kind of see some of those people. We'll go back to this in a little bit. Um, the apostles, and, the, and they begin speaking in languages they didn't study, they didn't go to school for. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They started speaking, and all these people start gathering, and they're amazed. Um, and then Peter steps up in verse 14 through 40 and preaches the sermon and people are blown away. They're absolutely blown away. And on that day, they're formed a 3,120 person church uh, led by 12 apostles, seven deacons. And this church is large. It's, it can't be any more spiritually immature than it is there, right? Everyone just became a Christian, boom, day one. They're ethnically diverse, it's in the city, there's multiple ministry staff to help lead and facilitate ministry in this new church. And as young believers, uh, they're there and they're learning to be formed into maturity and it, it is no, by any means, it's not a perfect church, okay? So I think sometimes we have this idealo- um, idealized view of the, the book of Acts and the church because if you actually track through Acts, the early church, there was lying and political posturing, Acts chapter 5. Uh, people complained a whole lot, Acts chapter 6. Uh, the, even, the, even the leaders of the church had cowardice in them, and they were afraid at times. Uh, there was doctrinal misalignment. You learn that from Galatians 2, 11 through 14. I mean, there's, this church had problems. It's like the church, man. It's like the church I go to today and have been going to 20 years, right? We have all that stuff. People complain. There's some doctrinal things hanging out, loose ends that we feel like we got to tie up. There's some complaint. There's always, there's always somebody complaining about something, right? So it's kind of like where we go today. Churches aren't perfect, right? They're only mature as the people who make them up. But despite all this stuff, despite the lying and the political posturing, the cowardice of leadership, all this stuff, what happens? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Here's where we're kind of zeroing in. They, what? The people in this church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. They 
devoted themselves to what? First and foremost, the apostles' teaching, right? And the apostles' teaching was centered around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That was their focus. It wasn't focused on, remember, church with problems. It wasn't focused on the complaining. It wasn't focused on the political differences. It wasn't focused on the unmet expectation of church leaders. They were focused on learning about who Christ is as revealed in the scriptures, right? And, and this has been an issue that I've seen, especially the past three or four years, right? Um, and by way of example, I had a friend, uh, his name was Todd, he was in the Air Force, and he was a pilot in the Air Force. I went to seminary with Todd. And I thought that was like the coolest deal, right? I mean, having a friend who flies fighter jets is pretty awesome. So, of course, I asked Todd, I said, what is, like, what's the most dangerous situation a pilot can be in? And I'm thinking he's going to talk about outmaneuvering a Russian MiG or some kind of Top Gun type thing, right? Like, and he doesn't. He doesn't go there. He said, without hesitation, he says, open field myopia. I said, what is that, right? What is open field myopia? He said, well, if you're flying at, you know, 25, 30,000 feet, whatever it is, um, you've, got your, you've got your canopy, your glass canopy, and you've just got blue sky everywhere, just blue sky. Or if you're flying at even at 10,000 feet, blue sky. What happens is if there's a bug or a crack on the windshield, your eyes are used to seeing this blue sky. They need something to focus on. They can't just focus on just a big array of blue. So they begin to tend to focus on the crack or the bug in the windshield And if you're not careful, you fly into the side of a mountain or another jet really quickly because you're traveling how many miles per hour? He said that is one of the biggest dangers in flying, open field myopia. And as I think about that, I mean, the church has got bugs and cracks on the windshields all over the place, right? I mean, look, let's go back three years ago with COVID. I mean, that was a no-win scenario. I don't know about this church. It was a no-win scenario for the church I go to. Either the pastors, it was like Goldilocks, right? You're, you're, you're too conservative or you're not, you're not careful enough or you're not courageous enough and people sided out all over the place. And I was like, guys, like this church is about proclaiming Jesus in the scriptures. Let's, let's focus on what's really important here. Uh, the pastor's not as good at teaching as my podcast pastor, uh, the building program's not going fast enough. The music is this. The music is that. Whatever. You, you know, look, you got people focusing on bugs and cracks on the windshield, and, and Christ is being proclaimed. And, and we get just, just silly about focusing on things that don't matter. I mean, you got the sun, the sky, the clouds, the expanse. That's, that's Christ. It I just frustrates me. I, I ask, what's, what's your focus and why is, why is focusing on Christ in the Scriptures that important, right? Because that was the center of the apostolic teaching. Why is seeing Christ in the Scriptures that important? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, 17 through 19. We're going to take a little bit more time on this first point, and then the second ones will go a little bit faster. But if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, seeing Christ in the Scriptures, it is a fight to see. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Let's see. Going to the right. (laughs) Okay. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 19. Right. 
So Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, right? He says, hey, I've heard of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, towards the love for all the saints. I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of power towards us who believe. And he goes on there, but the focus is, Paul prays that the church in Ephesus have the eyes of their heart enlightened. So there was a distinction being made between the eyes of the head, seeing, physical seeing, and the eyes of the heart, which I would call spiritual sight. There's two types of sight. This, this sight, eyesight, produces some type of knowledge, right? I see and I understand things and I, I comprehend things. But there's a spiritual sight that goes beyond just understanding. It's valuing. It, it, it's treasuring. It's, it's comprehending and like taking it in. The reformers used to say uh, that saving faith is knowledge, belief, and trust, you know things about Christ and the gospel, right? You know the story. You might believe it to be true, but this trust, this taking it in is the whole uh, pie of, of saving faith. So, I mean, I've heard this before, and you've, you've probably heard it too. If I say that's a chair over there, I know that's a chair, and I believe that if I sit in that chair, that it would hold me up, but what does trust look like? going over and sitting in the chair, right? So it's the same thing. Like, Paul's praying that the church in Ephesus sees. I see that's a chair, right? I, I know it's a chair, and I believe it. But there's this, this seeing with the eyes of the heart is taking these truths about Christ in and meditating them and having them change you. And solid churches that preach Christ and try to show him and display him in the scriptures, that changes people. So look, look one more, we'll just go one more place. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and you see how this works its way out. There's, we need spiritual sight to see, and when we see, what happens to us? This is awesome. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, because Paul, you track this sight going through the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay, Paul's talking to the church in Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are not bold like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So you're like, what, what is he talking about? When, uh, after the Exodus, Moses, people gather at Mount Sinai, the only one who's able to go to talk to God is who? Moses. Moses goes up, speaks with God, sees God in some shape or form. He sees him, but... When he sees him or interacts with him, he comes back down, and what happens? Moses' face is shining. He, somehow that, that sight reflected in Moses' face, and he was a changed man. And that change takes on some kind of physical form with Moses, and he was shining, and the Israelites were terrified. And they said, dude, put something over your face. We can't see that. We can't look at that. We can't see that. So that's what Paul's talking about, right? So Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what is being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted 
because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses read, a veil lies over their hearts. You see that? They're seeing it. It's moving from their sight to their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And where the Lord is, now the Lord is the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, right? We're seeing with the eyes of our heart, we're beholding Christ in the Scriptures, are what? Are being transformed into one, into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What am I saying? I'm saying this. The apostolic teaching was about Christ, showing Christ in the Scriptures, right? Good local churches that preach Christ and show Him in the Scriptures have a maturing effect on the congregation. The congregation sees Christ with unveiled face. They see Him, and they begin to change from one degree of glory to the next. That is the climb. That is the mountain of maturity, and it's a fight to see. Look, we can go further on, 2 Corinthians 4, and look at how Satan, who is a spiritual being, the archenemy of God, tries to keep that veil over there, but we do a good job veiling that ourselves. We're focused on all sorts of other stuff, focused on our phones, focused on our health, focused on good things, focused on our marriage, whether good things or not. But the singular focus on Christ and trying to take him in through the scriptures, it's a fight. That's why God gives pastors and teachers and apostles to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to building them up. That's the point of a local church. And my plea to you, man, if you've got a church that preaches Christ in the Scriptures and is faithful, that stay, support, engage. Because I don't know about you, I live in the barrier too. There's not too many of those things around. There's not too many. And there's becoming fewer and fewer and fewer. Stay with your church so that you mature so that you see Christ in the Scriptures. That's number one. Back into Acts chapter two. I want to say stay with your church, number two, so that you develop transformative relationships. This is so, so important. So back in Acts chapter two, we have, going back to our first church, the local church, they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, and secondly, fellowship. The Greek word for koinonia is generosity sharing, partnership, holding things in common. And that is really astounding because if you look at Acts chapter 2, we kind of hit this. Look at me in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. It's Pentecost, right? Who's here? Um, we've, got, we've got people. Uh, let's read verse 5. Now, they were, uh, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is, it that each, how is that that we hear each of us in his own language? Okay, so here's, here's the makeup of the early church, the first church, Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. That was the first church. Those were the people who made up the first church. You think they don't have differences? You don't think they have preferences in music? 
What language is the service going to be in? Right? I mean, they're bringing with them their own culture, their own traditions, their own ways of doing things. I mean, you travel, man, travel, even, man, travel to Europe, right? If you, if you, you here's a traveler, hint. don't tip anybody, don't tip restaurants in Europe. You're not supposed to do that. It's built into their wage. And then what I understand too, it's like you give tips to like prostitutes or something like that. So that was like an offensive thing to do. So don't do that. But it's like minimal things, small things like that are just crazy. And these are the people in the early church. And yet, they devoted themselves to being together. Their fellowship was not centered around their traditions or their backgrounds or their language or their history. Their fellowship was centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. They spent time with each other. They ate meals together. They prayed together. They shared their possessions with each other. There was no anonymity. They were known because they spent time with others. Man, this is so, so critical to maturity, is spending time with other people in your local church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. That Greek word stir up uh, can be translated agitate. Let us consider how to agitate one another. It's a different kind of meaning right there, right? Um, I'm going to do the wash, right? Throw your stuff in the washing machine. You know the thing in the middle? You know what that that thing's called, right? It's It's the agitator, right? So you throw your wash in the agitator and that thing does its deal, mixes it up and... Like, whatever you threw in the wash, whether you separated your socks from your shirts and your pants or whatever it is, the agitator doesn't care how you, how you sorted your stuff. The agitator's job is to get in there and just mix everybody up, right, and, and wash them and make them clean. That's the job of the agitator. Let us consider how to agitate one another to love and good deeds. Uh, that means that we need to be good at not only spending time with each other, but knowing each other and poking each other. Now, look, if I walk out this door after the service, you say, hey, Zorio, I got, I, got, I got this issue with your character. I'd be like, okay, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good, open to feedback, and I, I would listen to you, but I'm like, man, what, what, what am I thinking? Who is this dude? You don't know me. You don't know me. But, Alice and I have been attending the same church for 21 years. Okay, I've been a Christian for probably about 30 or so, and Alice and I have been in the same church for 21 years. Um, I came there when we had one small child, and now we have like four adult children. Um, I play basketball every Wednesday for 20 years with the same group of guys. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, one of the guys, when we started playing, was in like sixth grade. Now he's my dentist after all these years. <laughs> that's not a joke. That's true. Uh, I've been in the same community group or similar communities with Eddie and Trevor and Greg. Um, their sons and daughters grew up with my sons and daughters. Uh, we've experienced so much of life together. Man, if Eddie or Greg, and they have, come up to me, hey, Zorio, dude, I see this in you. What's going to be my reaction to those guys? Okay, what is it? What is going on? What, what are my blind spots? Talk to me. 21 years, 20 years in the same local church experiencing the joys and sorrows of life together, 
I'm known by a good core group of people, and they know me. Uh, five months ago, uh, my oldest son got married, and I did, I did the wedding. I officiated the wedding, and I made it through without crying, which was a total success, because every time I practiced, like, on, I failed, like, just miserable and crying. I was in Starbucks right in the, right in the wedding service, and people asking me if I'm okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Just write my son's wedding. Uh, did that. It was awesome. And what, was, what struck me, and one of the things I said in the wedding is I looked to my left, my son's here, and all the groomsmen are there. All these guys, uh, 75% of them grew up in the church together with my son, Kate. And those guys had an impact on my son's life. They, they made him a little bit of who he was and who he was marrying at that day. It was incredible. Just absolutely incredible. I can ask guys tough questions. They can ask me tough questions. But I'm telling you, that doesn't happen unless you stick around. Those things don't happen unless you stick around. Now, I don't care how you got here, where you came from, none of that matters. My, my plea to you is if this church, and I would say this in any local church that preaches Christ, is, solid, is faithful to the scriptures, man, stay. You're short-circuiting your maturity by jumping from church to church. And you're short-circuiting other people's maturity by jumping from church to church. Because like it or not, oh, we'll stay in touch, we, you know, we'll, we'll connect. Good luck with that. I, I, I have not had success with that. There have been people at our local church who have left over the years and like, oh, we'll still be connected. Man, life's busy. And I don't have so much time. And it's not like I'm trying to shut you out, man, but like, I've got to go to work. I spend, you know, 50 hours at work. I've got my family, and then I've got my community group and whatever else i got going on. Like, it's tough. Please, these transformative relationships, and I, I was cool. I was so blessed to see it manifest in my son's life. It just takes time. It just takes time. So stay. Stay with your local church so that you develop transformative relationships that help yourself and help others in this climb towards maturity. Number three, last one. I would say stay with your church so that you see and are impacted by heroes of the faith. Back in Acts chapter 242, you got people devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship. They're breaking the bread and they're praying. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. This is what's crazy. And they, not just the apostles, Normal people were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the precedes to all, to any who had need, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous heart, praising God, having faith with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what's happening? So you're seeing wonders and signs being taken place by the apostles, but you're also seeing heroic acts by normal people selling their stuff and just giving it to anybody who has need. I mean, that would impact me if I was a little hesitant to give my stuff away and I see Michael selling his car or giving up his car for Darren, who doesn't, his car's broken, man, that impacts me. That would impact me. That would cause me or consider to be a more generous person. In our church, we got people who do adoption, they do foster care, they do all sorts of amazing things. That impacts me. That impacts me. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Here's a, just, a, just a cool example of this. You see it in Hebrews chapter 11 because Paul begins to call it out, or not Paul, but whoever the writer, I don't know who, 
There's debate who wrote Hebrews. I think it's Paul, but I don't know. Um, Hebrews 11, you've got uh, Hebrews 11, chapter 1 through 39 is, if you've been in the church for a long time, we call that what? Hall of Faith, right? So if you read Hebrews 11, 1 through 39, you've got, you know, hey, by faith, Moses, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, and it goes through, they did these amazing things, but they did it by faith. And so there's all these examples given in Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 39. Okay. And then you get to Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, after, you, after I told you about Abraham, Moses, and the people, and you know, Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Sam, all these people, by faith they did these amazing things. Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So you look at, you're supposed to look at Hebrews 11, and it's supposed to, you're supposed to see these works of people that they did in the Old Testament by faith, and you're supposed to what? Do the same. Lay aside the sin which so easily entangles, and run this race of endurance, of maturity. My, my offering to you is that heroes of the faith are not only in Hebrews 11. Heroes of faith are in your congregation. And I've seen people in our congregation do amazing things. Um, I bring up, I'll change their names, but I bring up um, Katie Katie lost her husband to cancer. In fact, I remember talking to her husband. His name is Doug. Doug called me one night and said, Christian, I got a problem. I'm like, what's up? He said, well, I found out I have terminal cancer. Uh, Katie's pregnant, and I just lost my job. All in the same day. And I'm like, okay, I'll be over. And walk through that thing with, with Doug, and he actually, you wound up dying of cancer. And, but what blows me away, and as, as tragic as that was, and hard as it was, and to have to see him courageously fight through it, and, and maintain his faith, and, you know, be faithful to the end, uh, Katie, Katie's there on Sunday. I, I'll tell you what impacts me on Sundays. It, it's not always the sermon, and it's not always the music. It's I'm sitting on one side, and I'm seeing Katie over here sing songs to God about thankfulness. And I'm like, that's amazing. How can she sing that? By faith, Katie singing this song because the Holy Spirit dwells within her and that's going, that, that, that activity's happening right before my eyes. That changes me. Knowing people's stories in our congregation and the things they've suffered through, whether that's Suicide or death or can't, whatever. I mean, just multiple things. Um, heroic things. My uh, a good friend of mine left his high-paying job at Lockheed as a vice president, went to Zambia to start a missions organization. People pick up and leave. Like, and interacting with them, but just, just knowing their stories and seeing them, that has, a profound, that has had a profound effect on me and my maturity and my family and how I, how I live and what we do. There are heroes of the faith in your church. But let me tell you something. You miss seeing those stories if you jump. 
Because those stories don't happen on like a documentary that you just turn on Netflix and hit it and like tell me. They happen over time. They happen over time. And it's amazing. The same spirit that empowers and dwells within them and allows them to sing and be steadfast and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord also dwells within me. Going back to that Alex Honnold illustration, the boulder problem, when he had to take on one side of the sheer cliff and jump to the other, those people have made that jump. By faith, they've made that jump. And I'm climbing up behind, and I'm watching this, this boulder problem. I don't know if I can make that jump, but I'm watching them by faith do it. And that encourages me and helps me say, yeah, okay. I've been equipped with the things I need to equip, and I've seen the example, and I can do that as well if something like that were to befall me or my family. Those things take time. There are heroes of the faith in your local church. Stick with your church so you can see them. So stay with your church so you see Christ in the scriptures of the long term because we said that has a maturing effect, right? Stay with your church so you develop transformative relationships that you're stirring one another up to love and good deeds. That has a maturing effect. Stay with your church so that you see the stories of people who are heroes of the faith because that has a maturing effect. You are not meant to climb alone. Like I said, I've been climbing this mountain of faith for 34 years. 21 have been spent at the same church. And I've had people tell me, climbing up ahead of me in a rope team, Christian, be careful. That, that gravel's slippery. Don't step there. Don't do that. Or, hey, man, you're struggling. I'm going to pull in this room. I'm going to help you up to this part. Or, hey, man, watch me do this. I remember when we had our fourth child, I panicked. I called Bob, who's an elder in our church, and we get in front of him. He said four children. Like, dude, I don't know what's going to happen. The world's coming to an end. I've, I don't know how we're going to do four children. That's going to be crazy. And he's like, dude, we got you. I, I've done it. I've, and it's just, I mean, small things and funny things like that, like a resource to pick up the phone and call and see his example of his life and his four great children who are now older. One of them is my dentist, by the way. There he is again. Plug. Um, to see that, though, like having people help you and seeing examples is just it just helped me avoid big-time mistakes and helped me be faithful, but it is an investment. It's an investment. So like I said, I don't know, no matter how you got here, and I said, I have no agenda other than to help you mature in your faith, and the testimony of Scripture, I think, and, and just my experience is like being at the same place for a long period of time has greatly, greatly helped me become more like Jesus in my family, at my work, and in my community, and I hope the same for you, Okay? Okay, I'm going to pray for you. We're going to be done. Lord, thank you for the time to be together. Uh, thank you for your scriptures, which are not just true and accurate, but are just tremendously helpful and practical. I pray that you would take what we've talked about and marry it to people's lives and that your spirit We are temples of your Holy Spirit. Your Spirit is active and working and sharper than two-edged sword and able to pierce. We would take the words and apply it to different people in different situations. I fully understand there's all sorts of unique things that happen in life and that cause us to move and, and finances and all sorts of stuff, but I just ask that you would take this as a general principle and help us apply it. Uh, all, for the, all for the sake of becoming more and more like you. That's what we were designed to be. That's what we were designed to be. We, we were rescued, redeemed, 
bought with a price, not just to be saved we're Christians, but to reflect Christ into this world, that you would be glorified through the way in which we conduct ourselves, and you've given resources to help that process take place, trials, the word, prayer, and just the amazing thing, which is the local church. Take this word, use it, that you be glorified in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.